Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Once you go through these levels of the pyramid, then you're finally at the transformative practices step, which is what everybody wants. Transformative practices are kind of the the anti-habits, right? Habits are small, automatically done, you know, subconscious behaviors. Transformative practices are conscious, hard, willful behaviors that just really require you to put all your effort and energy into them. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work, while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi, I'm Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. It's that time of year again. If you're like most people, you're making resolutions to lose weight, hit the gym, get that long-awaited project done, or raise your game so this year you land that promotion. You're determined to shed bad habits, replacing them with new ones. And if you're like most people, you are attracted to a shiny, simple, surefire system to make that change happen. But like most people, you'll fall off track by early February. That's not surprising in the least, says my guest today, Jason Rhea, applied behavioral science expert. In fact, Jason has questioned habit hacks for years. And he's got a new book, a compact gem that we'll discuss today, in which he continues to challenge feel-good quick fixes in the habit formation industry and stakes out important new ground on how we create lasting, transformative change. That book, Real Change, Moving Beyond Habits to Achieve Lasting Transformation. So if you want to do big things, sustainably create lasting transformation for yourself, then listen in. Jason Rhea is an influential figure in the field of applied behavioral science. After studying neuroscience at Stanford University, he served as lead researcher in the Stanford Behavior Design Lab. Over the past 15 years since, he has continued to move the field, integrating behavioral science into the corporate sphere. He was global head of the first behavioral science unit at Walmart launched three successful ventures, Dopamine, Kite, and now Persona, and he writes and speaks widely on the topic. His original definition of the term 
habit has been widely adopted, notably by James Clear, author of the bestseller Atomic Habits. So before you follow the conventional advice and seek to use that to solve all your problems, listen in to what you need to do or think about differently if you want real change. Jason, welcome to 97% Effective. Great to have you again. Thanks for having me, Michael. Jason, the show is about hard truths, about navigating careers and workplaces, <laughs> and you're no stranger to this. You, you called out a lot of the nonsense, quick fixes in the behavioral science world all the time in your writing. Any one hard truth that you just want to call out here at the outset? I think that the, the one hard truth that I really focus on in this book and that I just want to call out and bring awareness to is that habits are overrated. Most of the things that people want to make habitual just cannot be true habits. So, for example, running, exercising, learning a new language, writing, learning, really acquiring any new skill cannot be habitual. It's not going to occur automatically. It's not going to occur below conscious awareness or with little conscious awareness. And so I think that people, unfortunately, are going into the habit formation process with unrealistic expectations. They're expecting to change their lives with habits. Habits are nice a nice way of automating relatively small, simple things in your life, like drinking more water, let's say, or maybe your snacking habits, right? You can tweak these things a little bit. You can tweak very small behaviors in your life, and you can automate very small behaviors in your life, things that don't require much effort or thought. But when it comes to the things that people actually care about, like, hey, I want to create an exercise habit, well, good luck. It's not really going to happen. Just behaviorally, psychologically, it's not really possible. And so I really want to bring attention to this concept with this book. And that takes us right into the book, which I'd love to unpack. It is a great compact gem, some very central ideas. Several of them build on work that you've talked about before, but a bunch of them for, for me, because I've read a lot of your stuff, I feel are new. And so I'll probably highlight and get us to focus on those. To start though, and, and you address this, there's this really big important piece about habits versus transformative practice. That difference is, is really central of what you're doing with this book. Yeah, so for many years, I've been talking about, about habits. You know, a lot of my work throughout my career is focused on habit formation psychology. So how do you get people to form habits around products or services? And the big thing that we in the applied behavioral sciences really try to get people to do is to automatically do behaviors frequently in response to a certain need or desire, right? So every time you want to go somewhere, like let's say every time you want to go across town, if I was working in Uber, I'd be focused on, okay, how do I just become the impulsive behavior that people do whenever they want to travel somewhere within their city. So before they're even aware of it, I want them their phone open. I want my app open. I want them clicking on the order now button. Or every time they're bored, if I'm Twitter or Facebook, I want them opening you know up the application and scrolling through the feed, et cetera. And so habits are these you know, barely conscious or unconscious reflexes that just occur automatically. And so a lot of the work that I've done with companies over the years is figuring out, you know, how do we simplify the product? How do we make it as like small, simple, easy to use, usable as possible? Because the easier it is to use a product, the less thought it requires, the less effort it requires, the more likely it is to be habit forming and kind of squeak in underneath conscious awareness so that people can just use it reflexively uh, whenever a need arises. And so that was a lot of my work in the early part of my career. I realized pretty early on doing this work that 
once the behavior became somewhat effortful, somewhat and required a certain degree of thought or uh, deliberation, then of course these things are not possible. I've paid attention to, of course, the personal development self-help world. You know, it's everywhere, right? You you can't, you enter any bookstore and self-help books, personal development books kind of fill all the shelves and people talk about them all the time. And, you know, all these habit books started coming out. First you had The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, then you had other books come along, Atomic Habits, et cetera. And I thought it was very interesting that there was such an emphasis in the personal development world on habits and people just were obsessed with habits. But as I had seen in kind of my applied behavioral work, you know, habits are very small little things that occur reflexively, you know, automatically. And if they're too big, if they're too thoughtful, if they're too challenging, like good luck, it's not probably not going to happen. And yet there were all these books coming out talking about exercise habits or create a learning habit or a reading habit or a writing habit or, you know, in other words, creating habits around what I considered very large, challenging behaviors. And I didn't really think that that was a wise way of approaching these personal development issues, that the habit was the wrong tool for the job. You know, that's, you, you're, you're picking up a hammer when you need to saw, like, a, you know, a board mm-hmm. here. Uh, and so you're, you're not using the right tool for the job. You know, running, learning a new language, you name it, none of these things are ever going to be effortless, automatic, occur below conscious awareness. And so I just got very frustrated over the years with the overreach of the habit stuff. It just was people were just taking it. It's the wrong tool. They're taking it, applying it to too many things. And they're getting their hopes up and getting disappointed because unless you're just trying to drink more water each day or something very tiny, you know, it's not whatever you're trying to do is probably not going to become an actual habit and you're just going to get disappointed. So let's dive into this, what you call the transformative practice path. And and I like this analogy. I'm going to oversimplify it. You mentioned this kind of triangle where there's foundational things, habits you need to get rid of or build. And then the pinnacle there is this transformative path to really ingrain it. First of all, before we dive into pieces of that, this is more than stacking just a bunch of little habits together. Can you just address that? Because I think your pyramid the top and the bottom certainly says this is not just stacking habits. In the book, I talk about habits and I talk about transformative practices. I, I'm not saying that habits are useless in the book. I say that you know habits have their place, but their habits are um, they're small behaviors that occur below conscious awareness that are fairly automatic. And so, in the book, what I talk about is okay, so. Habits are not kind of the answer to transformation, but they can be bad habits, like a lot of them stacked together, can be a hindrance to you having the energy, the life situation that really allows you to focus on these very hard, effortful, challenging behaviors, these transformative practices. So in the book, I represent it as a pyramid, but I say, okay, great. You have to, in order to do these very hard challenging things that are going to get you results in your life, you kind of have to set your, your your life up the right way. So first, what I talk about is the foundation of the pyramid is optimizing your energy. If you have a sleep issue, if you're not sleeping, you know, eight hours a day, or if you have a sleep disorder, solve that. Because the, the base of the pyramid is basically solve your energy, what I call energy bottlenecks, mm-hmm. diet and food energy. If you're a walking zombie, you're not really going to have the 
the oomph that you really need to do the really hard things that you want to do to make your life better, right? So that's the foundation of the pyramid. And, and a question, Jason, I mean, the basic yeah. idea, right? If, if if you don't have that foundation, it's hard or impossible to do the other steps. Am I hearing that correctly? I, I ask that because most people out there, depending what jobs they have, get in five or six hours of sleep, which would say like, yeah. they're going to have difficulty doing anything that's transformative. Is that, a, is that a fair statement? I do think that that's a fair statement. I would just say that it's not going to be sustainable long term, okay. right? Sure. So as for example, if you are just, you know, burning the candle at both ends and you are, you know, getting five hours of sleep and you, you know, you have a demanding job and now you're trying to start a, you know, start like a running routine. If you're trying to just rigorously run multiple times per week, which once again is never going to be automatic. It's never going to be easy. It's always going to be something that's going to be hard, willful, that you're going to have to grit your way through. If you're trying to do that in addition to all your other stuff, good luck, right? It's not going to last very long. And I will add here for those out there, this chapter of your book, because I I am very interested in the evidence and there's a lot of geeks out there, very well footnoted. You cite a lot of very good research for those who want to know kind of what's behind this. For sure, yeah, yeah, and 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 I definitely think that like this is this is the foundational step. Uh, just a quick anecdote from like my own life. So for um, for many years, I had what I'd consider fairly bad insomnia and just had some some sleep issues, and I I was able to kind of work on those and fix those. And what I found in my own life, at least, was that after I worked on kind of these and let's call them energetic issues, after I worked on my sleep and my diet. Just so many other so many other issues in my life just kind of simply disappeared. A lot of my behavior change struggles, like for example, trying to write more consistently or work on a book or work on my company, these things just became way easier. These transformative practices just kind of solved themselves or just became significantly easier once I had worked on these what I would call energy issues, right? So that's step that's phase one. Phase two, I call habit trading. What I talk about in the book is identify all these tiny little behaviors, these bad habits that you're doing day in and day out that are just kind of sucking up your time and pushing you away from the person you want to be. And let's identify them. And then let's do what I call habit trading. I would say that this is the best way of getting rid of bad habits and installing a a new one. So a, a habit trade is where you take a bad habit and then in its place, almost like Indiana Jones style, you put in a new good habit. You know, if you look at my definition of a habit, which is a behavioral solution to a recurring problem in your life, even if you're not aware of what that problem is, right? And so the basic idea of this part of the book is, okay, so we want to identify all of our bad habits. Then we want to identify what's the problem? Like, why am I actually doing this thing that I don't want to do consistently? And then let me figure out a, a new behavior I can do to replace this bad habit, but in a way that's more in line with my goals and who I want to be. And and so that's the basic idea there. So we go through this process of habit trading, which is identify bad habits, identify why they're occurring, come up with new, more positive ways of solving the problem that the bad habit's solving. Jason, selecting those, is that generally fairly intuitive or are we blind to some of them? What's your experience here working with a lot of people around this? Yeah, in general, people like know what their bad habits are. I do think with just a little bit of introspection and a little bit of time, everybody should be able to figure out why 
these bad habits are occurring. I haven't found that to be a big blocker. People can figure that out pretty quickly. But I do recommend, I do have it uh, in the book, like a worksheet where people can do a basically a diary study where they Mm -hmm. kind of check in with themselves consistently, let's say every 10 or 15 minutes throughout the day. You just, you only have to do this like over like a one or two day period so that you have like comprehensive understanding of all the different, even little things that you're doing throughout the day, like a ledger of all the different behaviors that you're doing. And then you'd be able to then kind of look at them and be like, oh, wow, like, okay, I spent a lot of time checking email. Maybe that's actually a bad habit, just compulsively checking email or, oh, whoa, I'm, watching YouTube a lot. Um, That's one tool that people that are having a hard time with this can use. But replacing them with a new good habit, that's a fairly rigorous process. The basic idea is, okay, to solve this problem that the bad habit's solving, what are 10, 20, 30 things that I could do in in their place? So you you go through this brainstorming process where you come up with new behavior ideas uh, to solve that problem. And then what we do is we grade those ideas. So we, we grade them according to um, four different criteria. How easy is this new behavior that I have in mind? Because we need it to be really easy for it to become a habit, right? We need it to be effective at solving the problem, hopefully equally as effective as kind of the bad habit at scratching that itch, solving that problem in your life. We need it to be enjoyable or at the very minimum, not painful or unpleasant. And then we want it to be also something that you're excited by or something that like really kind of gets you stoked. And this is a particularly important for the early stages of habit formation because we need you to, to find the behavior, the new habit compelling enough for you to actually go out of your way to do it and to do it in lieu of the bad habit. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. Jason, you know, there you say it is a more rigorous process and you've laid out how you go systematically Mm -hmm. thinking about that. There was one sentence that stood out to me in the book and it very much maps to, to what you've been saying for a long time here about most habit formation issues are behavioral selection problems. And and so you're very much that we should pick stuff that kind of fits with what we like or what's going to motivate us. Say more about that because I feel like not everyone in the field agrees with this. Yeah, Michael, you know, for me, I've been a proponent for a long time that behavioral selection is the most important, the most important predictor of successful behavior change that if you pick the right behavior for a person or a group of people that really fits their strengths, their living situation, their personalities, their interests, then then your behavior change initiative will probably work. If you don't pick the right behavior, if you don't pick something that really aligns with who they are, then it probably won't work. And so all of us are going to like certain behaviors and dislike other behaviors. All of us are going to find certain behaviors easy and certain behaviors really hard. And so figuring out like matching the right behavior to the right person is I think like the most important thing that you can do in trying to change your own behavior. And so the underlying idea I think behind this book and just a lot of my work throughout my career is that why do we do behaviors? We behaviors are a means to an uh, to an end, right? Well, if your goal is to lose weight and look good, there's, you know, 500 paths to that. You can you could go running frequently, you could go to the gym and lift frequently, you could do CrossFit, you could join a, you know, pickup soccer team, you could play basketball. 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's so many different ways of doing that. Or you could diet, right? Instead of exercising in order to lose weight and look better. There's just, there's so many paths to, to losing weight and looking good, right? And so the basic philosophy I've espoused for some period of time is don't get hung up on one behavior and bang your head against the wall trying to get it to stick. So for example, I think that a lot of people get the idea in their heads, hey, a lot of my friends, a lot of my friends go running frequently and they seem to really enjoy it. I should go running frequently. And so they just pick fairly arbitrarily a behavior that they think they should be doing. And then they just keep trying to force themselves to do it in order to get this end result. When instead of forcing themselves to do it and trying all these different habit hacks and reading books about how to form a new habit or how to you know get yourself to do a certain behavior and trying all these little tweaks like putting your running shoes near the door or putting in your calendar a time to go running or rewarding yourself after going running. If you have to do any of these things, then it's not the right behavior for you because if you actually are excited by a behavior, if you actually find it enjoyable, and if it's like not something that's like so brutally hard for you for whatever reason, then you don't need to resort to any of these things, right? For example, I love going to the gym and lifting weights. I actually find it very fun. I, you don't need to remind me to go do that. You don't need to hold out some, some prize or some reward for me to go do that. You, you, you don't need to do any of these things. And so there's no, I don't need to put go to the gym in my calendar. I don't need to set up a notification to do it. I don't need to put my gym equipment near the front door so that I see it and I'm reminded that I should do it later today. I don't need to do any of these silly behavior hacks, these silly habit hacks, because it's something I'm excited by, I enjoy, I like. And so it's a, it's a good fit for me. And the entire philosophy espoused in this book is let's match you to the right habits and to the right transformative practices for you to achieve your goals. This point, Jason. It makes yeah. absolute sense. It's easier if it kind of matches to what our inherent skills are, our personality, that we enjoy it. And I love your idea of having multiple things to choose from, not trying to just focus on one thing. That really was eye-opening to me. But the point I want to ask about is it feels like not everything that we do will necessarily be enjoyable, particularly when we start thinking about this as I was reading the book of very much also out of Stanford, right, where you studied Carol Dweck with the idea of a growth mindset, which is, you know, you have to kind of move into kind of an uncomfortable zone of things you don't like to develop. And that's how we kind of expand and grow, as well as just the very idea that initially most things we may not enjoy. Um, and it's not until yeah. we kind of work through it and gain some mastery that we begin to enjoy them. And then when you enjoy them, you begin to do them more. So I'm still trying to figure out, hey, if we're always just doing stuff we enjoy, we may never be growing in new dimensions and developing new skills. I think if, if a behavior, if an activity is truly a good fit for you, you're, you're going to enjoy it on, on, on some level, even if you're not good at it. So for example, I ran track and cross country throughout high school and it's painful. Like track and cross country, they're painful sports. They really do hurt. But I always, I found it kind of exhilarating. And so even though it was something that was challenging and that it took me a while to gain, let's call it mastery over that activity, I still deeply enjoyed it, especially in the early days, actually, when I was first getting going. It wasn't some like, some brutal, awful struggle that just made me feel bad about myself. You look at a lot of the great people, 
the greats of almost any field, you, you hear stories about Michael Jordan or you hear stories about Tiger Woods or you hear stories about Mr. Beast, right, the YouTuber. And all these people, is pretty obvious, like even very early on, even though they didn't have mastery yet, even though like the the sport or the game or the activity was a struggle for them, you could still tell that they really, really found great satisfaction and pleasure in it still. And I think that that's true for all of us for for every area of our lives. I do think that there is an activity that is a great fit for us. I think one of the big problems is that people settle too early with their activities or behavior ideas. They don't explore enough. Mm. Kids in particular, I think we explore a lot. And then I think as we get older, we explore less and less. Most people, they they just see that, hey, there's three options on the menu. Um, let me see if I can get myself to do one of them. And none of them are actually a great fit for that person. And so they just keep struggling at it. They keep pushing at it. Um, and it just never really works. And they have this erroneous idea in their heads that, oh, if I just do this, if I just do this every day for 30 days or 60 days or whatever period of time they have in their head, then it's going to become a habit. And then I'll just be doing it regularly and it'll become more enjoyable. And, oh, even if it's not enjoyable, it doesn't matter because I'll kind of be on autopilot with this thing that I don't really like that much. And I'll be getting the benefit consistently when it's just totally the wrong mindset to have. I think that everybody, for example, in the physical realm, I guarantee you for everybody, there's a physical activity that is grueling that they will enjoy. They just probably haven't explored enough. And I think this is true of every area of life. I think, unfortunately, people don't use their imaginations enough. I, I think that's a really good point. But if you're simply trying to do stuff that's enjoyable, can you get in a trap there? Oh, for sure, yeah. But but that's but that's why in, like how enjoyable the behavior is is only one of the four things that gotcha. you're trying to optimize around, right? Gotcha. So the whole idea here is you came up with ideas that were easy enough, effective enough, and exciting enough but maybe they're not they're not super enjoyable but they're kind of enjoyable well that may be the what you have to work with given kind of what you were able to come up with that day yeah. so it's this never ending process of trying to come up with new ideas and optimize and explore jason as you lay this out and as you lay mm -hmm. out in the book bottom of the period focus on your energy trade and disrupt bad habits build on that explore as you lay it out it it actually seems fairly simple, right? And I mean, that is why you're writing the book, sure. helping people develop these transformative practices. But where do then most people still fall off? Where, where's like the big trap that people are dropping off before they rise to the next level of the pyramid? Yeah, so that's a great question. It's a funnel, right? People are going to fall off at every stage. I do think that some people will read the book or kind of read about my approach and they'll say, oh, optimize my energy. They're just going to think that that's too boring. And so they're going to drop off there. The next place where people are going to drop off is the habit trading step, creating a comprehensive list of all the bad things that you're doing that you want to disrupt. A lot of people drop off there mm -hmm. because a, a decent proportion of our days is done on autopilot where we're not really aware of what we're doing. And so forcing people to pay attention to their days, write down kind of what you're doing. A lot of people don't want to do that. It's just going to be too much work, too much effort. It's a lot of people will fall off there. The next thing that's really going to trip people up is coming up with ideas. I, as I mentioned before, I, my belief is that one of the big things that like, really holds most people back in life is that they don't explore enough. They, they think, oh, exercising equals these three things. They don't think that exercising equals actually hundreds of things right. if you just let your mind kind of be more creative. And then once you go through these 
levels of the pyramid, then you're finally at the transformative practices step, which is what everybody wants. Transformative practices are kind of the the anti-habits, right? Habits are small, automatically done, you know, subconscious behaviors. Transformative practices are conscious, hard, willful behaviors that just really require you to put all your effort and energy into them. And basically, these are the things people want to do. Writing, writing a book, uh, you know, doing a hard workout at the gym, you know, starting a business. Like these things are all really freaking hard. They require your full mind, your full attention, your full effort. These are things people want to turn into these easy automatic habits, but you know, it's not really possible, but you, all the work you've done up until this point is so that you have the ability to do these things. And, and as you're talking about those places that people fall off, you spent most of your career in Silicon Valley. As you think about these drop-off points or helping people generate more ideas, are there some pieces there where a technology overlay can help with that? And uh, that's a good question. I do think actually the AI tools are extremely helpful for brainstorming. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like ChatGPT, I, I, I know it's like it's all the rage, but it is a very helpful brainstorming tool. Mm. I'm just going to keep using the same goal just for consistency's sake. But let's say your goal is to once again lose weight and look good. And let's say in your head you're thinking, okay, I can go to the gym and lift weights. I can go running, or I can cycle, right? And let's say that those are the only ideas popping in your head. You can use you can go to ChatGPT and you can say, hey, listen, you know, I want to uh, I want to lose weight look good in a way that's enjoyable, give me 30 ideas. And it will pop out 30 different Mm, ideas. And if you don't like any of those ideas, you can say, hey, give me 30 more, but make them even a little bit more interesting and creative. And it will pop out 30 more. And it's an endless idea machine, right? Mm. These tools, they're extremely helpful for brainstorming purposes. So I think that if you're just kind of sitting there looking at the page, blank page, trying to come up with ideas for things that you can do, I do think these tools are incredibly powerful as brainstorming aids. Yeah. And Jason, your your book is coming out. You work with a lot of the other leaders, thought leaders in the field. In fact, I know at the end of last year, you came back from Arizona from a large discussion there. Have other people already reacted to some of your ideas for better or for worse that you might share? You know, I've kind of kept this this book and what I've been working on under the radar I've had a lot of people read it and I've worked with some editors on it as well. I really wanted to in this book describe things as clearly and simply as possible and just kind of lay out my case. And overall, the the feedback I've gotten, the responses I've gotten have been great. I do think that people that are really, that are hardcore like habit hackers that are just like obsessed with like habits, I do think a lot of people in that world um, are going to dislike the message or at least they're going to they're going to kind of push back and say, no, no, of course these things can become habits. But I think that that's because a lot of these people have spent so many years trying to turn things like exercising, things like learning a a new skill or new language or whatever into habits, and they've just been failing over and over again. I do think that this is why every year there's like a new habit book on the market. Once again, habits are the wrong tool for the job. People keep trying to keep trying to automate or keep trying to put on autopilot these hard, effortful behaviors that everybody wants to do, and they can't because it's an impossible task. And so and, and a new person comes along and says, hey, oh, you've been struggling with you know, doing this hard, effortful thing in a, you know automatic, subconscious way. I have the new approach for you. I have like the new model for you or the new set of tools that you can use to do this. As long as people keep promising readers 
automation of these behaviors, people are going to keep buying these books. They're going to keep failing, and there's going to there's going to be this perpetual market there. I like what you said earlier in the show that we've been applying the wrong tool to solve the challenge, and so I very much think of that analogy of your book as being a new and different tool to apply yeah. and thinking about how do we approach this more holistically. Jason, anything that we didn't dive into or that I didn't ask that you'd want to just call out? That's a great question. I guess one thing I just want to reiterate one last time is that I do think that the, the big shame with the habit stuff is that it just sets people up for failure. It causes people to think that any activity, any behavior, no matter how much they dislike it or how challenging they find it or how, uh, yeah, how, how unenjoyable it is to them, it makes people think that, okay, if I just stick with it long enough, at a certain point, I'll just be doing it consistently and I'll, I'll gain all the good benefits with, without much of the pain or the awareness. And so I think that the most damaging thing about the current habit formation materials on the market is that they they prevent people from really spending a lot of time thinking about what should I be doing? Because if you, if you make people think that, hey, no matter what I want to do, if I use these techniques, these tactics, I can turn it into a habit and I can just be doing it consistently with like no problem. If you make people think that that's possible, then you prevent them from actually really spending the hard time thinking about, okay, what should I be doing? What really is the right fit for me as a unique person with a unique personality, a unique living situation, unique social situation, unique strengths, unique weaknesses? And so I think that, I think that unfortunately, just all of the stuff out there today just has, has put a pause on people's introspection and creativity. Yeah. So there are no silver bullets, but there is a path. And to lay out and illuminate that path is your book, Real Change, Moving Beyond Habits to Achieve Lasting Transformation. Jason, where do people get it? And how do they see you and your work? Yeah, so the book is going to be on Amazon as a paperback and as a Kindle book. And you can also learn more about it on my website, which is thebehavioralscientist.com. There will be a page on there where you can learn more about it. And then online, there are going to be 11 worksheets that walk you through each step of the, the process I outline in the book in a systematic way. So you can finish it in you know one to two hours, and then you can go through the worksheets one after another. And that is what I loved about it, uh, Compact Gem, as I said. Jason Ria, applied behavioral science expert, author of Real Change, Moving Beyond Habits to Achieve Lasting Formation. Thank you again for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwenderoth.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.